This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. Welcome to another Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. Recently, on August 7th, 8th, and 9th, I was at a series of meetings in Southern California. On one of those evenings, I was listening to best-selling author Ed Silvoso as he began to share about an encounter he had with the Lord back in June 27th. He also shared about his new book called Ecclesia. As he began to unpack what the Lord had put on his heart at this critical juncture in our nation and shared some of the principles from his book Ecclesia, I sat riveted listening because I realized how important this message was for us today. So I asked Ed if he would consider being a guest on one of our Transforming Leaders and Leadership Awakening Zoom calls, which he graciously accepted to do. So today's podcast is an extrapolation from a recent Zoom national call we had with leaders from various backgrounds and spectrums, in which Ed Silvoso shared with us what the Lord had put on his heart back June 27th, and subsequently the things that he felt were urgent in preparing ourselves as ecclesias in this critical juncture in our nation. With the technology, affluence, and knowledge we have today, why are we less effective than the first century church which didn't even have social media, fancy buildings, professional leaders and pastors, or even religious freedom? What are we missing today? I trust you will find today's podcast with Ed Savoso quite engaging as he digs into scripture and shows us how the early church was a radical, countercultural force of people who transformed their hostile, pagan places in which they lived. Dr. Savoso shows us how we, in the midst of social, economic, political, and moral chaos, can once again become the revolutionary, transformational, life-giving ecclesia Jesus called us to be. Dr. Ed Savoso has been a friend for at least two decades, and I first was introduced from his book, Prayer Evangelism. And one of the things I remember even then, he is a man of presence and prayer, and he used to say, talk to God about your neighbors before you talk to your neighbors about God. Like me, you will find that Ed's message today is substantive, thought-provoking, and refreshing, and at the same time, bring us to a place of recognizing the importance that we become the ecclesias all across this nation if we're going to reach the soul of this generation. Thank you so much, Doug. What a privilege to be with you and with so many people. What a joy. Folks, uh, let me share from my heart. Uh, Let me give you a little bit of background first. There is nothing wrong with your hearing. It's my accent. (laughs) I'm from Argentina. And when you learn English later in life, it comes out rusty like this. So treated like an old radio receiver. Remember when you used to play with the dial until you got it the best you could. And once you do, don't move. Stay tuned. If you like what I have to say, you will tell your friends, hey, this cool guy that sounded like Antonio Banderas shared today. (laughs) If you don't like it, you will say this boring old guy that sounded like Henry Kissinger tried to say something. So let me say uh, very, very quickly by way of background, my wife and I have the privilege to lead a network 
of leaders like you, about 7,500 all over the world. And we believe that the Great Commission has two sides, like a coin. Uh, Mark 16 is the personal one. Go and preach the gospel to everybody. Baptize them, you know, disciple them. But then there is another side that hasn't been as evident, and it's the corporate side. It's Matthew 28. It doesn't talk about individuals. It talks about nations, and it talks about teaching and baptizing nations. And what we have discovered is that when you put these two together, you lead people to Christ, but then you point them to the nation to baptize the nation, not in water, but in the teachings of Jesus. Doug is a prime example of this. Since I first met him, you know, he has been different than other people because he hangs around sinners and politicians and government people that will never come to a church building. And he was there actually injecting the leaven, the salt, the water of the kingdom. And what we are seeing, folks, is not only people safe, but we are beginning to see nations transform. It's in the early stages. So that's the background where I'm coming from. Let me say this. Like all of us, I have pondered the question, where is God in the midst of COVID-19? There has been an absolute reset not only of business, education, government, but also traditional church. I mean, anybody who is hoping to go back to church the way we did it before is going to be disappointed because right now we are impacting more people through the internet than we could have possibly impacted before by trying to bring them into a building. It's not either or but we have to combine, combine those two. So I did receive, uh, I am not a prophetic guy that hears voices and God speaks to him. Sometimes I wish I was. I am a guy that rather than hear God, I read God and then I take it from the Bible. But on June 27, as I was in prayer, because I live here in Silicon Valley, California, this is the least church area in America. It beats New England by more than a mile, okay? But we are seeing the move of God here in business, in education, in government, in non-traditional church settings. We are seeing massive people coming to the Lord and companies, industries being touched. But on June 27, that week, we tasted the violence. I mean, six hills around our home here were set on fire by extremists. There were riots downtown. And, and, you know, you have had your share where you are as well. So as I was in prayer, I said, Lord, what is the word from you? And I received a very clear impression. Ed, I'm growing impatient with my leaders because everything they asked me, I gave it to them. They asked me for a bigger church, I gave it to them. They asked me for anointing, they got it. They asked me for prosperity, I gave it to them. 
but they are not asking me for what I want them to ask. And I say, what is it, Lord? The Lord says, go to Psalms chapter 2, verse 8. I want nations, nations. People are busy with what they have, a kingdom company, a church, a mega church, a ministry that is growing. But I love the world so much that I gave my only begotten son, not only to bring people to heaven, but to bring heaven down to earth. And the Bible doesn't end with everybody going to heaven, as you know. Revelation 21, 24 says that the leaders of nations will lead safe nations on a parade that bring us a wedding present to Jesus. The honor and the glory of those nations that has been restored so that we have to refocus. And then I received this impression, which I applied to me. I'm not trying to project this on anyone else. There are 90 days to turn the tide because the nation that you knew is no longer there, has been uprooted, is up in the air, and is going to land and crash landing. And whoever is there when it lands will define the future of the nation. And I don't see my church there. I don't see my ecclesia. And that's why issue a call for the ecclesia. You know, I use the word ecclesia from my book, Ecclesia, because if I say church, we are by tradition drawn to a building. And I'm all for buildings, okay? Don't get me wrong. The more, the merrier. The bigger, the better. But the city doesn't fit in the building. The church is the only institution that has a branch in every neighborhood and it could easily have an agent in every block. We, we are the church. The church building is not the church. We are the church. And that's why we issued this call, taking advantage of COVID-19 to turn every home where, I don't know what the situation is where you live, but here in California, we cannot go to work. We cannot go to school. I mean, uh, we are sheltered in place. So what can we do? Well, we can go back to the biblical pattern where two or three gather in the name of Jesus. They turn that home into an ecclesia and the presence and the power of God dwells in that place. And now the presence of God dwells in our home here. The people that come to deliver food to make repairs, they have an encounter with the presence of Jesus. And we are seeing more manifestations of the power of God since we understood that. But let me put it in perspective. What is going on with COVID-19? It's a total reset. Total reset, right? When we study the scriptures in the New Testament, we see that God first gathered the church in one place, strengthened it, and when it reached a certain level, scattered it and moved it out of that structure into an unstructured place where the church has to find the new footing. Let me give you four examples. He gathered them in the upper room. What were they doing in the upper room? 
They were reading the Old Testament. They were examining prophecies. They were praying. I'm sure they were fellowshipping until they reached a point when God chased them out of the building, literally, because we get this romantic idea that the Holy Spirit came in the form of a wind. No, no, read the passage. It was the noise of a mighty wind. It was a tornado warning. And because I believe that God wanted them out of the building into the marketplace for the church to be born, not inside the building, but in the marketplace. That's what the Holy Spirit felt. He didn't fell on the apostles in the upper room. He fell on the apostles in the marketplace. And that's where the church was born. So he gathers them, he scattered them. Once he got the first group of believers established, Peter and John go to the temple, as they always did, to be edified. But there they heal a paralytic, remember? And because of that, they were thrown in jail, they were threatened, they were pushed around. And now they have to move from the temple to Solomon's portico. Why Solomon's portico? Because only the Jews could go to the temple courts. But Solomon's portico, the Gentiles could come. And that's where signs and wonders begin to happen, unhindered by the religious leaders. I mean, they didn't like it, but they couldn't stop it. Then you have the persecution that came when the churches were prospering all over Judea and all over Samaria, and the persecution came, and they are scattered all over. Look at the pattern. They are strengthened, they are growing, and he scatters them. And some of them go to Antioch, which is a merchant city. And there they begin to preach without any of the traditions of the temple, without asking people to be circumcised first, without the shadow of the temple over them. And that opens the door for the Gentiles to be saved. Barnabas goes there to check them out. I'm glad it was Barnabas and not James, <laughs> because probably James would have written them off. Barnabas was a son of consolation. And the Bible says that he saw the grace of God. And he said, oh, my goodness, this is a new paradigm. So he goes not back to Jerusalem, but he goes looking for Saul, Paul, brings Paul. And look at this. For two years, they strengthened the church. And when the church was strong enough, the Holy Spirit told the elders, Set aside Saul and Barnabas. I'm sending them out. And now they go out and they begin to plant ecclesias in synagogues. He gathered them, he strengthened them, and he scattered them. And for 16 years, Paul and Barnabas, and later on Paul and Silas, they planted churches usually in synagogues. Until you get to chapter 19. That's why COVID-19, Acts 19, I draw a parallel. Right there, Paul, whom God has been pushing out of the synagogue. Remember in Acts 18, 
he went into the marketplace and so many people got saved that Paul got confused. And God has to visit him at night and tell him, Paul, this is the new normal. You will lead people to the Lord in the marketplace. You will baptize them in the marketplace. And you will plant churches in the marketplace, not in the synagogue exclusively. But he tried one more time in Acts 19, and a huge mess developed. Paul left the synagogue. There is no record of him ever going back to a synagogue. He goes to the marketplace, to the school of Tyrannos. And there, Paul, instead of preaching once a week to God-fearing people in a religious venue, now Paul and Aquila and Priscilla are ministering every day to pagans in a secular context. And, and they are working, they are making tents, and the anointing in Paul is so powerful that it impregnates his robes, and those robes are used to heal people and to deliver those that are afflicted by demons. Don't miss the point. All of this happened in the marketplace. And in two years, everybody who lived in Asia, that's a Roman province of Asia, everybody heard the word of the Lord. Because Paul broke out of the synagogue into the marketplace. I submit to you folks that this is what is beginning to happen. We realize that we are the church, whatever we are. We dedicate our homes. That's where we begin. But we should dedicate our workplace, the school, when it reopens. We need to take the kingdom of God where we are. Now, the question comes, but Ed, what about the traditional meetings? Those will come back. But the government can shut them down any time now that they got used to it. So let's go back to China. In 1949, the communists took over. They shut down the churches, shut down the missionaries, imprisoned the pastors, expelled the, 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 the missionaries, burned the Bibles, and there were less than half a million believers. Where did they meet? In homes. What did they do? They studied the Bible and prayed and experienced signs and wonders. Fast forward to 2020. We don't have firm figures, but it is estimated that as many as 150 million people may be believers in China. How did they accomplish that? Without buildings, without training the way we do it. Because they rediscovered that where two or three gather in the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus manifests himself in that home, that workplace, that underground church, that factory, that school becomes a church without the traditional trappings. And let me give you Two examples here in Silicon Valley, actually three examples. As I said, this is the least church region in America. The rapture could happen tonight, and I doubt that anyone will miss us tomorrow. That's how socially irrelevant 
the churches in Silicon Valley. But I happen to be on the board of a Christian school called Valley Christian Schools. If you Google Valley Christian Schools, you will find that it's one of the leading schools in the nation. It's considered perhaps the number one, not only Christian, Christian or secular. It is definitely the largest Christian high school in the nation. Our campus is a dream, $250 million campus. I mean, our arts and entertainment center is so exquisite. We are the only school that march on the Rose Parade. Our swimming pool is Olympic size. Our football stadium is NFL level. I mean, you talk about top, top, top. But as we were basking in that success, the Lord spoke to the leadership and told them, my justice is not justice until it becomes social justice. You cannot have this Christian ghetto on top of a hill when the public school system is broke. Go and give them what I gave you. Well, that was a tough call because, as you know, the Supreme Court kicked God out of the classroom, right? So the president of the school said that to the Lord, but Lord, we cannot do it because it's Supreme Court. And the Lord said to him, oh, you think that the Supreme Court has a supreme authority? Why don't you put a a petition before the court of heaven and I will receive it? And so by faith, he said, okay, Lord, you want us to go to the public school. Legally, we cannot do it. I mean, we can go, but then talk about God, which will guide us. And after he prayed, the Holy Spirit told us, listen carefully, because this is the key, change the mission statement. Our mission statement said that we endorse Judeo-Christian values. That is dead on arrival in the public arena, Judeo-Christian values. And we replace that with this. We embrace the virtues and values of the founding fathers of this nation as expressed in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal, blah, 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 blah. What educator can argue with that, right? And then we sent our seniors, actually just 50 of them, we usually graduate 400 every year. We sent 50 seniors trained as the ecclesia into the school that was the worst school in the district. And we asked permission of the principal if we could come and do for them what they couldn't afford. He said, well, we have a problem. You are a Christian school. We are the public school. You can then talk about God. We said, sir, promise. It's God's honor. We will then talk about God. But we said to ourselves, we will bring God. And every week we went there and we built, you know, a computer lab, a music lab, everything they couldn't do it. We took the presence of God and the, and the point average began to improve. On the second year, that school that was on probation ran all the way to the top. On the third year was the number one school in the district. In the process, the wife of the principal was diagnosed with cancer. 
stage four. The students offer prayer. She receives it. The Lord touch her, reverse the progress of the cancer. Now the principal, his wife, and the two children became believers. That opened the door for Bible clubs. And that school now became what we call an ecclesia. It's being the church without religiosity. It did so well that the superintendent of the district, this is a consummate bureaucrat, he came to see the leadership of our school and he asked the question, what is the magic? Because I would like all my schools to be as good as this. And the Dr. Doherty, who is the leader, told him, well, it's like a coin. It has two sides. One side is excellence. Look at our conservatory. Yeah, I see that. Look at our swimming pool. I see that. Because I teach people, show them Rachel, but they sneak Leah in the bedroom. You see, Jacob wanted the wife. God wanted a nation. I mean, this guy wanted his school to do better. But God wanted that school to be transformed. So he's okay, I see. I say, what is the other side? Oh, the other side is God. He said, oh, shoot. And he almost cast. We cannot do that. And then we explained to him, actually, Dr. Dorothy did, how we change our statement. And we say, we can go there and serve you in any capacity. And we promise you, we will not show up with the Bible. So we asked him, what is your biggest problem? And he said, well, my biggest problem are freshmen that are gang members, that they come to school and they begin to sell drugs and they establish gangs and they fail every subject and I cannot expel them fast enough. Well, one of our associates developed a program called the Firehouse. And this is a program on campus that for a student to be admitted, listen carefully, has to have four F. If the student has three F, we are not bad enough. Go get the fourth F and come back. These are the undecidable people. And they are transferred to this program. And the first thing we do, we feed them lunch. We spend time with them. We build their self-esteem. They come from broken homes. And folks, listen to this. This is the fifth year that everybody entrusted to the firehouse has graduated with honors. They have, many of them have secured scholarships in, in prime universities. But better than that, 4,300 students and teachers have received the Lord in the public school campuses. And the district gave us permission to baptize some of them in the school swimming pool. Why? Why not? Why not? They realize that their success is dependent on what we bring to them. But it gets better than that. Our school has placed over 400 experiments in the International Space Station. You know, we developed the technology to do that. And we made that program available to the public schools 
and you should see the stars in the eyes of the junior hires when they are looking at the satellite blipping on a on a on a radar and they know that on that satellite there is an experiment that they built there these are kids that we have never graduated from high school and they are doing experiments that go into outer space and our school won the x prize I mean, that's a million dollar price for exploring the bottom of the ocean. And that money has gone into the community. So folks, I submit to you that we have a golden opportunity with COVID-19 to go back to our roots as a church. Church is not a building, church is people. And when two people get together, the word ecclesia, as you know, means assembly. And when an assembly gets together in each quorum, and the quorum is two people, when two people get together, they invite the presence of Jesus into a home, into a school, into a workplace. And Jesus said, anything you ask shall be done by my Father who is in heaven. And whatever you bind on earth, right there where you are, will be bound in heaven. And as a result of these folks, we are seeing a move of God in Silicon Valley that is totally unreligious, but solidly spiritual, to the point that Twitter allowed us to have a celebration in their headquarters. I mean, Facebook, I mean, there are missionaries all over the place because we learn to be the ecclesia rather than the organized church, and we take the presence and the power of God there. So, folks, I want to encourage you today, and I hope that if you will be so open to go on Facebook, can I mention that, Doug? Yes, please. Ecclesia everywhere. Ecclesia everywhere, okay? Ecclesia everywhere. There is a five-minute video there where I explain that if a million of us were to dedicate our homes as an ecclesia and the presence of Jesus were to dwell in our homes, my wife Ruth and I did that. We opened the door of the house. We invited Jesus. We have breakfast with Jesus, lunch with Jesus, dinner with Jesus, tea time with Jesus. We go to bed with Jesus in the bedroom. We dream dreams we never dreamed before. I mean, our home has become a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. And we already have 5,400 homes dedicated like that. But folks, we are on a race. If we are not able to change the spiritual climate over our nation in the next 40 or 50 days left, our nation will never be the same. I hope that doesn't happen. But in Argentina, we live through what is called the dirty war. The right and the left went at each other, first with words, then with violence, and eventually with guns. And the church was asleep at the wheel. And, and the center of the social cave in. And the extremists took over in Argentina, a cradle for revival, 
never recover. And I'm afraid we may be facing that in America today. But we can change this. If we can change the spiritual climate, if we can have a million homes, workplaces, schools, where Christians are putting a skin on God. I mean, here our neighbors are Buddhists, Hindus, uh, Muslims, you, you name them. We pastor them, we bless them. They come into the kingdom. They haven't come into a traditional church, but they have come into the kingdom because our home is a place of light. They feel something coming out of here. You may say, Ed, is that biblical? Absolutely. If Peter's shadow was able to carry the anointing to heal multitudes, how much more the internet, how much more a WhatsApp that we send to a neighbor, how much more a dish that we cook and we give it to that neighbor in the name of the Lord. So folks, the clock is ticking. I believe this is the moment. I believe God is allowing the church to be strengthened in the home, to be scattered into society. And when COVID-19 restrictions are lifted, I hope we don't just go back into the building, but we keep the building as a training place for us to keep going into the community and transforming the community the way that we are seeing it here in Silicon Valley. Doug, I don't want to dominate the time, so I turn it back to you. Oh, this is brilliant. And something that you were saying reminded me of a scripture that keeps resonating with me. And it's uh, Jeremiah 9, 24. And it says, but let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that's the Lord, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, he says, declares the Lord. In other words, God delights when we exercise kindness, loving kindness, justice in our judgments, and righteousness. And I think what you've been sharing is one for that to happen, for us to even to exercise kindness or loving kindness and justice, we have to first be in the presence of God. And as we have these ecclesias, we recognize the power of agreement because agreement is the place of power. Uh, Ed, you also shared that um, that you wanted to get a million. So you've got how many ecclesias right now? Right now we have 5,200, but why a million? Because in America, if on the average you have three people in a household, one million is roughly 1% of the population. If each one of those adopt 10 neighbors in prayer, Breakfast, lunch, dinner, bedtime, you bless them. That's 10% of the population. If God was willing to spare Sodom and Gomorrah for 10 righteous, how much more if 10% of the population in our nation is being blessed and not blessed? And, and Doug, if I can add this, because when I first met you, Doug, I was challenged by your lifestyle by your commitment to the down and out. And I would like to say this, why this reset has to happen. It's a shame that 98 cents of every dollar 
if the average church is spent in that building, when the city is broke out there, when I was writing Ecclesia, and I got to chapter 25 of Matthew, you know that passage, the judgment of the nations, I fell on my knees and I cry out to God because I said, Lord, I don't want to face you on that day. And here you say to me, I never knew you. Depart from me. Because the people that they thought they were in, he sent them out. And those that never, they thought, I'll never make it in. He welcomed them. And those that he told them, you can't come in, they said, but Lord, look at all the churchy things we did. We cast out demons. We heal the sick. We prophesy. No dice. Depart from me. Who are the people that he welcomed into the kingdom? And Doug, this is where you inspired me many years back. The one who cares for the widow, the orphan, the imprisoned, the undocumented foreigner, the one who is needy, the hungry. My friends, this is a total reset. Every revival that resulted in growth, the last one was the Jesus people revival. It began outside the church. The Salvation Army happened outside the church. Wesley began outside the church. I mean, this is a golden opportunity. If one million of us were to dedicate our homes, change the spiritual climate, and 40 days before the next election, people can think rationally because they are not, and vote virtues and values rather than anger and resentment. We can turn, we must, we should, I pray we will turn this nation around, but the time is short and we have to move on it. And that's why we set up Ecclesia everywhere. Amen. You know, I was rethinking about 1857 and Jeremiah Lamphere and some call it the prayer, business prayer uh, revival. And the population in the United States at that time was probably about 32, 33 million people, times that now. And through that, 2 million people or so uh, came to know Christ in that movement. It was in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances. There was disease, there was division, there was there was delinquency, there was wars and rumors of wars, there was, they were getting ready for the civil war. And yet in the midst of that, uh, when the church takes right posture, uh, and we will, we will have an awakening or a rude awakening, but it will happen. And we have a moment right now, just like in Luke 21, that, that speaks of the distress of nations with perplexity because men's hearts fail them out of fear. And yet in the midst of all these pandemics and crises and ethnos against ethnos in the world, God is saying in my church, it should not be so. We should be the church, cross our racial, denominational, generational lines, meet at the cross of Christ. The centralia of the cross is the only place we'll have the power of the gospel to be able to invade, as you said earlier, Ed, to, for heaven to invade earth. We've got to get back to that right posture in humility, personal reflection, repentance, so that God can use us with his anointing, because we need a corporate anointing in favor of God to bring the manifest presence of God into our communities. And finally, I'm thinking about even uh, the first century Jewish historian, Josephus, and that 
he shared, he lived through the desecration of Solomon's temple, the second temple, the destruction of the temple, the scattering of, of Israel that we saw all the way through now where they're, the diaspora, now they're regathering, of course, since 1917, the Balfour Declaration in 1948, the establishment as a nation. But we see from 70 uh, AD at the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, we've seen almost 2,000 years of scatteredness. But he said the climate spiritually and politically in Israel was family strongly divided, a civil war percolating. And when they were off balance is when the Roman Empire came in and destroyed the temple and scattered the people and destroyed Jerusalem. And I see an uncanny similarity today that if we allow the enemy to divide and conquer those of us that should be at the centrality of the cross and to get us from focusing on the tree of life and begin to look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil through our hope, we'll find ourselves in the same situation. And while we're off balance, the powers, the nefarious powers, the diabolical powers, the spiritual battle, will use that as an opportunity to divide the church when the church needs to be united in Christ, even in our differences, coming together, not in uniformity, but in unity with, with our diversity, coming together at the cross of Christ, focusing on the tree of life. I believe there's three things the Heavenly Father wants to remind us of, and that is to keep perspective, peace, and purpose. One, we must pull down every vain imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of the truth of God. Secondly, keep our fix, our gaze on the tree of life, on, on the Zoe, but also on and Hebrews 12 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then thirdly, we must speak God's divine life, the Zoe life. We have to speak the life of God into our homes, into our families, over our communities, over our cities. We have, we, it's easy to criticize and speak death when we need to be speaking the Zoe, the life, the divine life of God into our communities, our families, our nation. We've got to make sure we keep our perspective, peace, and keep our purpose. So, Ed. Can I add something to that? And, yes, uh, absolutely. You see, in my book, Ecclesia, I explain that the early church, most people believe it grew by signs and wonders, which is true. There were signs and wonders. But we overlook that the biggest draw, in addition to the signs and wonders, is social action. The early church came against slavery, came against corruption, came against poverty, restored the dignity of women, established the family on an equality between men and women. And we need to go back to that. And you were talking about divisions, Doug. I mean, usually middle-class white Americans lean to the right. Blue-collar ethnic Americans lean to the left. I'm talking about Christians. We are divided. Folks, we have to be liberal on social issues. We have to be compassionate and caring for the needy. But we have to remain conservative on moral issues. And that's why we have to come together in the middle. Because what the devil does, he takes... The, the cube that represents the new Jerusalem, that represents the love of God, cuts it in two. And now we have two parties that are opposed, okay? Democrats and Republicans, labor and management, black and white. 
and they and they hate each other. But we need to recapture the middle ground. We need to be, we need to be totally committed to social entrepreneurship. The church should be on the cutting edge of eliminating poverty. When the division happened between the traditionals and the evangelicals, the evangelicals kept the Bible and gave up social action. And the traditionals kept social action and gave up the Bible. This is the hour. Imagine if one million homes like Ruth and I are doing here, we care for our neighbors. We take care of them. We do social entrepreneurship. Multiply that a million times, Doug, and we can change America or we can change whatever nation. But the time is short, folks. The deadline, if I compute 90 days from June 27th, is September 25th, 40 days before the election. So that's the word that I received. I apply it, and if this resonates with you, let's go together. Remind <clears throat> us of, of the how they can become an ecclesia again. If they go on Facebook and, 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 and search for ecclesia everywhere, you will find a short video, five minutes, that challenges you to three things. Number one, acknowledge that you are the church, and when you connect with someone else, you invite Jesus into your home. Dedicate your home as a building for that ecclesia and adopt 10 neighbors that you bless, you fellowship with, you minister to every day. The moment you answer yes to that question, the counter goes up. And that's why we know that there are 5,200 people that are doing that. But let's go for it. Folks, Paul says in Acts 17, 27, in him we live, in him we move, in him we exist. You are in him right now. Do this quick exercise. Move your hands like this, but don't slap anybody. What do you feel going through your fingers? Air, pneuma. That's the spirit of God. You live in him. You move in him. He wants to renew your mind. He wants to deliver you from any oppression. So Holy Spirit, in you we live. In you we move. In you we exist. Holy Spirit, come. Come. Come upon us and baptize us. Baptize us with fire that will burn any cupway of wrong doctrine. Give us a hunger and a passion for the new. Oh, Lord, let us be novices at something new that you are doing. And rather than remain experts at what you already did, oh, Lord, renew us today. And, Lord, we pray right now for our nation. We pray for President Trump. We pray for Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. We pray that you visit them. We pray that you manifest yourself to them in dreams, in visions, in whatever, like you did in the Old Testament. Oh, Lord, visit them, we pray. We bless them rather than bless them, Lord. We speak peace over them. We declare, Lord, that righteousness shall prevail upon this nation. In the name of Jesus, Lord, 
We love you. Amen. Amen and amen. Amen. As you apply this word and season to your life and your community, we would love to hear the testimonies of what God does. Please share them with us by emailing somebodycares at somebodycares.org. You can also go to somebodycares.org and sign up for our email updates. You'll stay in contact with the ongoing efforts through disaster relief, prayer initiatives, transforming leadership, Zoom calls, and much, much more. Somebodycares.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.